Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Good afternoon, good evening, good uh, morning, no matter where you are in the world, and uh, welcome. My name is Colin Shaw. Uh, and I'm, I'm Ryan Hamilton. Uh, professor. Uh, professor. Dr. Professor Ryan Hamilton, Esquire. And I'm just playing old Mr. Colin Shaw. <laughs> I already get put in my place at the very beginning. <laughs> well, I've I've gotten the status boost that I need for the day. So unless you need me, I'll uh, sign off then. And <laughs> uh, good. So welcome to the Intuitive Customer. Uh, Ryan and I have written a book called The Intuitive Customer. Now there's a surprise. And what we found was that when we were writing it was that uh, we actually just enjoyed the conversation about you know Ryan coming at things from a sort of a theoretical academic side and me coming at things from a much more sort of business side and the melding of that I think is really quite powerful. What are we talking about? Availability. Availability. Availability heuristic. Two words um, that are difficult to pronounce, why don't we put them together? That sounds like academia to me, mate. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Really, really does. So the so let me let me take a step back. Let's let's define heuristics first. Um, if you're interested in this area, behavioral economics you may have already heard the term. It's a very, very common one. Um, heuristic is a, a, a fancy word for a shortcut, right? a, a way of making things easier. Uh, now, now, broadly speaking, there are two classes of heuristics that um, decision scientists are interested in. Some heuristics are those that you develop for yourself. So, for instance, I had a, a friend who said that when she would go shopping for fish, she would always buy the one that was on sale. This was her decision rule. She didn't need to figure out which fish to buy. She would always buy the one on sale, and her logic was something like uh, she assumed that that would have the, the fastest turnover and so it would be freshest. I tried to point out for her it might be the stuff that's going old, and so maybe not that great. But anyway, that was her rule. So she developed this rule. So she didn't, she didn't have to think about it. She always bought the one on, that was on sale. It saved her time. It saved her mental energy. That That's one type of heuristic. We all make these decision rules for ourselves. There's another type of heuristic which you can think of as being more hardwired. So just because of the ways that our minds are built, there are certain decision shortcuts that appear to be universal, or almost universal to everyone. That's what we're going to talk about today. This is one of those hardwired heuristics that almost everybody uses. Please, uh, I think there's a question in the back. Yes. Okay. So is an example of that, whenever I go in and buy some fresh food, I would tend to buy, if I'm buying milk, I would tend to reach to the back of the shelf because I know that they put the dates of the things at the back of the shelf and the ones that are going out a date early at the front of the shelf. That's Is right. That um, so that would be your heuristic, your decision rule. You don't need to think about that every time. You don't need to go through and, and look at all of the labels and make this trade-off. Well, is it worth the extra? No, that's your rule. And so every time you go in, you reach to the back, you're done. But that rule is not universal. I never do that. We buy enough milk at my house and go through it so fast that I know I'm going to be back at the store buying it in two days, so I don't need to worry about that. So we have different heuristics um, with right. regards to buying milk. With regards to other things, you and I will have the same heuristics, and it will be the same for almost anybody anywhere. And the availability heuristic is one of those. Yeah, go ahead. So does that mean 
that my heuristic has been built up from my, you know, society, my, I don't know, socioeconomic income, you know, all that type of thing has made me do, select these things and do these types of things? Is that, does that um, go into there, there may be some of that. So, so again, for the for these two different classes, there are the ones that you've decided it's not worth my going through the effort of making this complicated decision right. in a complicated way every time. Okay. And that would tend to be more deliberative. This is something that you, this is a rule that you kind of impose on yourself as a way of okay. saving time. Now, there may be cultural influences to that. Um, no. There may be like family rules to that, like this is the way your parents did it, and so you do it too. Um, but the, it's it's deliberative and it, it's not universal. It's not to you. This other stuff is is just kind of the the architecture of our brains make it such that we tend to all use the same simplifying rules in a couple of cases. The intuitive customer is being brought to you by Beyond Philosophy. Your frontline teams should be trained on how they can practically influence customer decision using some of the psychological techniques discussed in these podcasts. To understand Beyond Philosophy's unique approach to the training of frontline teams, just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash employee training. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash employee training. We've only used one word so far. You That's, right. That's fine. Um, heuristics is actually a really, really important word to understand. So if you're interested in this area, and we're, we're going to talk more about heuristics in future episodes. Heuristics in general, very important, uh, kind of a key fundamental way of understanding decision-making, uh, the fact that we do use these simplifying rules sometimes. Uh, and scientists have identified uh, several of them that are really foundational. They really explain a lot of decision-making. So we'll, we'll probably talk through several of them. Today I wanted to start with availability because that's one that's very interesting to me. The basic idea is that for a lot of the decisions that we make, we need to figure out how frequent is something or how likely is it in, in the world at large. So um, for a, a business example, you might have a question about how reliable are a certain brand of car, right? So are Hondas a reliable car? That's the judgment that you want to make. That's the, that's the question that you really have. It turns out that's really, really hard to do. These frequency judgments, we usually don't have enough information. The, the calculations involved are really complex. So because they're important, because we need them, and because they're really difficult, we've worked out a heuristic, uh, a, a, an intuitive way of making those decisions really fast and really easy that's usually pretty good. And so the availability heuristic is uh, where we say instead of how likely is this or how frequent does this happen, instead we ask ourselves, how easy is it for me to bring to mind examples of this thing? Do, do you see, see the difference there? Really hard thing that we really want, really easy thing that we can just get an answer for right away. And usually it's going to be pretty good, right? I mean, if something is more frequent, it should be easier for us to bring to mind remembrances of it. So we use it because it's usually pretty good. But it's also biased in some very consistent ways. Because so not everything that makes it easy to remember is related to whether it's actually frequent in the universe. So can I give you an example before you do your question? Yeah, yeah. Go so ahead, the prototypical example is, are there more words in the English language that have R as the first letter 
or that have R as the third letter? First letter. That's what everybody says, right? And right. why does everybody say that? Because... It's difficult to think of the third. That's exactly it, right? I mean, when you, when you ask the question, how do you, how can you possibly answer that? You can't. We're not equipped to answer the actual question. So no. instead, we answer a similar question, which is, how easy is it for me to think of words of that characteristic? And because right. of the way our memories are indexed, it's very easy to remember words that start with R, right? We can just pull those up easily. We have no filing system for, for pulling up words that have R as the third letter. As it turns out, there's something like two or three times as many words that have R as the third letter than have R as the first letter. So wow. it's not even close. Wow. But R, words that start with R are more available, and so they feel more frequent. Right. Go ahead. What was your, what was your comment? So uh, when I go to buy a car or something like that, suddenly on the road, mm-hmm. I see loads of the car that I'm wanting to buy. Yeah? And I suddenly go, bloody hell, is, have we, is suddenly everybody buying this car? Or it, So is that the availability heuristic? That's, it's not that it's, re, it's related to the same, what we would call metacognition, which is just information about how we're thinking. That has a name, and I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the effect, um, but it's kind of the inverse of it, where once you're aware of, of some thought, then you start uh-huh. seeing it everywhere. Yes, um, I yeah. I think it has a complicated German name. I can look it up later. Um, yeah. The availability heuristic is the opposite. It's uh, how easy is it for me to um, remember this thing, and that makes it more likely or seem more likely or seem more probable. So, for example, if you're driving down the road, you know, your, your life is in your hands. Uh, driving is kind of dangerous, and it's an easy way to yeah. die. Uh, and yet, you know, most of us are pretty laissez-faire about it. We're pretty casual, you know painting our nails and eating lunch and swerving in and out of traffic. But then if you see a bad wreck, well, the next several miles, you're driving very conservatively. Your hands are on the wheel. And and one of the explanations for that is the availability heuristic. Suddenly, because you've just had this vivid example in front of you, it's it seems much more likely that a car crash could be real. Go ahead. Sorry, so is this the... Is this the, and I hope I'm not stealing your thunder, but is this the terrorist example? Yes. Uh, no thunder to be stolen. That, yeah, that's exactly that. Uh, the reason that we overweight um, terrorist uh, incidents, right, the, the reason that they weigh so heavily on us in terms of the policies that we make, in terms of how we live our lives, is exactly because of the availability heuristic. It's so vivid, it's so easy to imagine, it's so frightening that we we feel like it's more probable than it actually is. The Intuitive Customer Podcast is brought to you by Beyond Philosophy. Since 2002, Beyond Philosophy has been helping organizations improve their customer experience through their consulting, training, and research services. Find out more at beyondphilosophy.com. That's beyondphilosophy.com. If you were in the government, would, would you put more money into uh, curing cancer or would you put more money into terrorism, you know, solving terrorism, um, being safe? And the majority of people said that they would spend more money on putting solving terrorism. And yet 
people, more people die from cancer than they do from terrorism. When you look at solid numbers, when you compare the two, it's, it's somewhat sort of... In fact, I can, I can drop some, some numbers on you in a bit. The, uh, some psychologists looked at, so after 9-11, there was this huge shift away from air travel for several, uh, several weeks or several months. I don't know how long the dip lasted, but people were afraid to fly. And so they, yeah. they drove more when that was possible. And so some scientists looked at the numbers and they found that, you know, driving is much more dangerous than flying. And so they found an increase in roadway fatalities because of this shift in behavior and more people died on the road as a result of fear of flying after 9-11 than died in 9-11 in the terrorist attacks. So it it was this, it was this fear, it was the availability heuristic. It was so vivid. It was so, um, palpable that we we were afraid to do it. It felt sure. like it was much more likely to happen than it actually was. Um, shark attacks is another one. People are terrified of shark attacks, and yet um, they, you know, to a first estimation, never happen. Like nobody dies in shark attacks, and yet people are terrified of them because they're so available. It's so easy to remember. There's a a guy who does a blog, and he um, he tracks based on death statistics the things that are more likely to kill you than sharks. So here's, here's a list. Are you ready? Yeah. Uh, obesity, texting, hippos, lightning, airplanes, deer, icicles falling on you, hot dogs, volcanoes falling out of bed, uh, shopping on Black Friday, bathtubs, dogs, tornadoes, ants, jellyfish, high school football, roller coasters, and vending machines falling on you. All of these things are more likely to kill you than sharks, and yet nobody's afraid of vending machines, right? Because but it's, vending machines, I'm never going to buy anything from them again. Well, you never know you at least on. two ways, actually. You never know um, when a shark's going to come out of a vending machine and bite you. <laughs> That's a good point. I don't know for sure that there's no coincidence of that, where it's, it's a shark vending machine. That's a, yeah. Well, maybe it's in China or something. They have shark fin soup in the vending machine. That would be quite That's interesting. True. That's true. That's hey, There may be a vending machine somewhere in the world where you can buy a live shark. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I would be so surprised. So let, I'm conscious of time. We've got 10 minutes, all right? Yeah. So let, let's try and let's – so I guess my question becomes, so what? Yep. What does this mean? This, by the way, is Colin's role in yeah. every conversation that we have. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll get all excited and hepped up about something, and yeah. Colin will come back around with that. Absolutely, because at the end of the day, you go, really interesting, love it to bits, but what does that mean for me if I'm in a company trying to improve my customer experience uh, yep. or trying to improve my customer experience? So I guess part of it is understanding, A, that that happens, and B, how customers can get influenced by those those things, uh, and then thinking about the designing in the, the experience. So, yes. So one thing to realize is um, when people think about the the cust the, well any reputation any brand reputation, but you can think about customer experience reputation in particular. When people think about how what is the the customer experience like at this firm at this brand. Um, they're not thinking about the actual frequency with which the airline lost the luggage or the car was not repaired properly across the population. They're not doing that actual frequency judgment. They can't. 
Instead, they're thinking, can I think of any examples where I've heard of this company doing that? Which means if anybody's out there telling really vivid, memorable stories about your brand, that's what's going to matter. That's what's going to, it doesn't matter if you are on time 99.99% of the time. If there's a well-known story about you being late and that is what people remember, then they're going to say, oh, it's so easy for me to think of examples of when these guys are late. And that would happen, I guess, cross industry. So if we turn around and said, all cable companies are useless, yeah, uh, and I've recently written a blog about that, mm-hmm. um, then the same would apply because you're then, the danger is you're then having an experience with a cable company and you're being influenced by that already and you may not have ever dealt with that cable company before. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, if it, I think it'll depend on the extent to which consumers see your cable company as distinct from the cable company category. Yeah. And I think I think that that'll be different uh, in the UK than it will be in the US. In the US, most people are in a market where there's a cable companies are a monopoly. So if you have an experience with a cable company, you're having an experience with the industry because you don't see a difference. I'm fortunate enough and unfortunate enough to have a house in England and in the States. And recently, I had experience with a cable company in England here and in the US, and they are both equally as useless as each other. So this is, I don't know why, but telecoms, it's globally, they're bloody useless, basically. I, I wouldn't claim that they were better anywhere, but you probably have more choices, I'm guessing, in your cable company. No? What am I then? I won't bore you with it. There are actually two providers of cable companies. There's BT in England, and BT provide the backbone, and then everybody else basically um, sells their product. There's one up Virgin Media, who have got their own network. Uh, it's slightly different, but don't start me because I used to be in telecom. Or you to tears. Still bad, regardless yeah. of the specific. Um, so, yeah, th- so let me give you a, an example. So, you and I were talking before we signed on um, that there were st- uh, storms uh, in, in the U.S. last week. It completely snarled the airline system. I was trapped in, in Boston for an extra two days, unable to get out. So when I when I think about the experience of a particular airline brands, it's going to be informed partly by that, but it's also going to be informed by the the other stories that I heard. So um, I, I saw on some social media blogs people posting pictures of lines that were even longer than the ones I had to wait in, and with stories that were even worse than the ones I had to experience. Those are now in my memory, and those are easy to retrieve because they they were you know expressed in a very memorable way and included these these uh, pictures that were going to be easy for me to uh, to pull back out and remember. So where the availability heuristic screws up is when things are very vivid, um, they're very um, kind of evocative, emotional. Um, they're, they're frequent or they're recent. All of these things make things seem more likely to happen. So you're trying to manage your experience. Can you make positive experiences that have those characteristics? Because that would be disproportionately positive for you. 
Yeah. So especially understanding what the customers think and then ensuring you don't do the same, like yeah. the customers, and being separate to that. And maybe even in the messaging is articulating that this is what's happening, but we're different over here. We're so pleased that you're listening to this episode of The Intuitive Customer. As a listener, we want to offer you a free download of Colin's ebook, Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience. Take advantage of this free offer being made available only to listeners of this podcast. Do it now. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast and follow the link for the free book. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. I'm conscious of time. We've got about four or five minutes left. So um, it, how would you summarize this then, Ryan, in just in the last couple of minutes, how would you summarize it? So one, one bit of an advice I'd give is uh, companies tend to be very good at collecting performance data um, on various metrics, particularly around you know, customer experience, uh, uh, call time, customer satisfaction scores, and so on. Uh, those are all great, and they give you a baseline bit of knowledge, but when it comes to things like the availability heuristic and some of these other heuristics we'll talk about, those aren't going to pick those up. Right? So you, you might have an average score that's really good uh, and maybe has improved over time and you feel very good about that. The availability heuristic says that's not what's driving people's impressions uh, overall. It's what is it that is easy for them to bring to mind. And so in a lot of cases, you know, if your commercials are about you know, good service and, and quality things, that may be what people bring to mind. And so it could be that you can message your way out of it. Uh, it could be that there are some, you know, people posting on social media with very good or very bad experiences that they've had, and that's what's memorable. So in addition to your statistics that you collect about your performance metrics, are there other ways that you can get at what is it that customers are actually remembering? What is easy for them to bring to mind when they think about your, your offering? Yeah, and, and for me, the whole bit about um, memory, um, and we're, we're going to spend some time talking about memory, is uh, I tell you what, in the last 10 years, the, that's the thing that's really struck me as being most important. Because it's, and to quote Professor Daniel Kahneman, it's not, people don't remember the experiences. Sorry, people don't choose between experiences, they choose between the memory of an experience. And that, when you think about it, is profound. Um, and not, so it's not about the experience, ironically. It's about what people remember from the experience. Uh, and therefore, um, understanding that and building on what, what Ryan's saying is, is, is key. Yeah, and I'll, okay. if it, just really quickly, it, we'll, we'll talk about memory a lot. Um, I'm sure we'll do a session on peak end rule. Uh, yeah. The availability heuristic is just one approach to understanding memory. So this is not by any means the whole story, but I think it's really important. Um, and it, yeah. it'll all fit under this umbrella of memory and how do people form memories and how those memories influence them. And I think the other key for me is, uh, and when we started looking at customer experience, we talked about rational and emotional experience. Mm -hmm. What I've learned over the last few years has been that this is about behavior. Okay, you have to understand customer behavior, and the reality is, is that customers don't even understand their behavior. Sure. Customers, yep. you ask them, 
you know, how are they making this judgment? And they'll go, oh, well, I counted up how many R's there were in the alphabet and, you know, whatever else. And this is what I did. So they don't understand it themselves. And uh, therefore, you know, for me to get in this, into this advanced part is, is important. So, thanks very much, everybody. So Until it's good. Well, this is a, an old British way. It's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from him. So, quite interesting. <laughs> Uh, Bye, Carl. See ya. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on the Intuitive Customer.